Our scripture this morning that in our sermon text is Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. And if you're looking in the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page um, 869. Luke 11, verses 5 to 13. And it's also on the screen for your help. Let's stand as we hear God's word together. And as it is our custom, we will, at the end of the uh, reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe that, say, thanks be to God. Luke 11, beginning in verse 5. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So let me ask a disturbing question. How is your prayer life? Uh, No need to confess. We won't ask for a raise of hands or we'll uh, give any uh, incriminating uh, questions to you. But think about it. How is your prayer life? I think most of us would say that we can't say that our prayer life is just as good as it can possibly be. We can't even imagine... uh, being any more thrilled with it, any more fulfilled with it. We can't imagine that we need to increase the amount of time or the focus or intensity of our time in prayer. Uh, I I doubt if many of us would say that, uh, and I certainly would, would not say that. It's a lifelong struggle to pray, to take time to pray. It seems like uh, if you're an activist like I am, you'd rather go do something than to sit quietly and pray. And yet, uh, the chapter we've just read from in Luke chapter 11, Jesus, who is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us, was known for his prayer life. 
his disciples were observing him in the first part of the chapter, which we didn't read. He was praying, it says, in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, there is something about the fact that Jesus prayed as a human being, as God in the flesh on earth. It should say something to us about the importance of prayer. And for sure, if it was important for Jesus, it must be important for us as well. His disciples understood this. And I think they also understood that this was not something that you just kind of do casually. They knew that they needed instruction in this subject. And by the way, uh, the Gospel of Luke is the gospel for prayer in Jesus' life. If you go through the Gospel of Luke and study Jesus' prayer life there, it's quite a profitable study. And so we find ourselves here in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, who enjoyed apparently so much the idea that Jesus spent time in prayer, and he emphasizes it. So in this context, Jesus uh, responds immediately to his disciples. And as they have asked him, and one asked him, and I assume they all chimed in, yes, we, we would like to have you teach us about prayer. So Jesus immediately goes into a lesson in which he gives them what we famously call the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we have studied that. We will not be studying that again this morning, but we have spent a number of sermons over the last few months studying the Lord's Prayer in, in detail. And it's a great prayer. I love it. Uh, and it's wonderful, and we should use it. I, I imagine that we all know it, and we could, we could re recite it at the drop of a hat. Uh, but the point is that even though Jesus gave them this uh, prayer that we understand to be not just one we need to say by rote memory as if it was just something to, to, uh, to recite from time to time, but something that's really a pattern for prayer. It's a, it's a way of praying. It gives us categories in which to pray. And it's very helpful in that sense. But he also, after giving them this pattern for prayer, we can call it that, uh, he also gives them a lesson on prayer. And this lesson uh, is one that I want us to look at. We just read about this morning. And in this lesson, I believe there are three essential attitudes for prayer. These are essential attitudes that Jesus taught his disciples that they needed to keep in mind. And I believe he would apply those to us as well. Um, so if we're trying to discern what it is that maybe holds us back from praying more and better, I think that the three attitudes that are here will give us a clue. How do we get from point A to point B? How do I go from being a person who just prays, unfortunately, many a day, it's just thank you, Lord, for this bread and peanut butter kind of prayers. Um, and we think that probably isn't quite enough. That probably doesn't quite get to it. So let me walk you through uh, this passage here and think about three essential attitudes for prayer. The first attitude is desperation. Prayer requires desperation. Look at the, the, the parable, if you will, that Jesus tells his disciples, he asks them this question, he describes it in verses 5 uh, and 6, where he says, 
uh, to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now picture this ancient uh, Palestine uh, or Judea or, or Galilee. And there you have a little village, let's say, with some houses. And at one house, it's midnight. Well, it's midnight. And then at one house at midnight, here comes somebody banging on the door to say, hey, remember me? I'm your old buddy. Remember we went to school together? Oh, yeah. Hey, how you doing? Well, I just arrived here. And hey, can you put me up? Oh, well, absolutely. You wouldn't turn away a stranger or, or a friend, but a friend certainly coming at midnight. And so the host, we will call him, invites in his friend who has arrived from this journey. And he and and uh, in his mind, we can't see this in the movie, but you think about it. It's going through his head. He's thinking, what am I going to feed this guy? We don't have any food. And he begins to be desperate. Um, you ladies probably understand hospitality a lot better than us guys. But this guy was he was very desperate about helping his serving food to his friend. I realized the other day how 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 high a standard of hospitality ladies have, because I found out that <clears throat> I found out something I did not know. And that is when we have a men's breakfast, we put tablecloths out, but we don't iron them. But I found out that the ladies Guys, you need to know this. The ladies, they get these tablecloths out and they bring out ironing boards and they iron the tablecloths until all the wrinkles and all the little creases are out of them. I don't know why I went into that. That had nothing to do with the sermon. But I just think it's an interesting thing. But I'm trying to describe to you the fact of desperation. If you have somebody show up and your and you're ladies, your tablecloths aren't ironed, you feel desperate. You need somebody to iron those tablecloths. Uh, in this case, there's a guy and he has to feed his friend and he doesn't have anything to feed him and he is desperate. That is the first qualification or essential attitude for prayer. You need to be desperate. Let me ask you this. Are you desperate? I don't think so. Well, mostly we're not desperate. We don't like to be desperate. It's not a good feeling to be desperate. We are Americans, by the way. We believe that we can do whatever we set our mind to. We are fiercely independent. We're the people who won the West, right? We are, or we descended from them. And so we are, we resent or we run from or we flee from or we avoid at any cost the whole idea of being desperate and needy. But this host who went to his friend's house at midnight, no less, to ask for bread was a desperate person. He had to be, because when you think about it, here was a situation where in these little houses, you didn't have three bedrooms and two baths, or you know, it wasn't a ranch, it wasn't two-story, it wasn't anything like that. It was probably a one-room house. And there in this little house, the man and his wife and the kids were all stretched out in the only area that they had that served as their living room, their dining room, and their bedroom, depending upon what time of day it was. And so this guy comes, banging on the door at midnight. Everybody's asleep. He has to be desperate. 
And I would say there's a certain degree of humility here because you just don't want to go bother somebody. If he wasn't desperate, he's not going to be going and knocking on a door and bothering his neighbor. After all, he could start a, 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 a neighborhood feud uh, with this sort of a behavior. So he goes, but he goes anyway because he's desperate. And so I would suggest to you, first of all, that Jesus is telling the disciples that you will pray when you are desperate. Just like this man, when you come when you come to the point where you realize that I have no other solution, I'm in a real uh, problem here. I'm stuck. I need a way to get out of this. My only solution is to go to my neighbor at midnight and bang on his door, wake everybody up, and get him to give me some bread. Uh, now you might be saying to yourself, "Look, I've." worked hard all my life to avoid being desperate. You know, I started years ago and I worked hard and I did everything and I saved my money and I lived very frugally and I put it away and, and now I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable and I don't, I don't really want to be desperate. I'm not attracted to this idea of desperation, even if that would help me pray more. Let me suggest to you that the reason why we are not desperate is that the things that we are seeking are very, very uh, achievable for us. We're not seeking anything really that great. But the things that Jesus is calling us to pray for are big things. Go back to the, uh, the prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said to them, hallowed be your, we should be praying to the Father, hallowed be your name. That's a big thing. We should be praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be praying that we be forgiven for our sins. We should be asking God to help us forgive others. And we should be recognizing that we need help to not be led into temptation. You know it lurks everywhere. And some of you know it better than others. It's just a click away. All kinds of evil is right at your fingertips on your iPhone. So the things we ask for are often very minute things, very achievable things that it wouldn't matter if we prayed for them or not. We're probably going to get them anyway. It's very rare for me to pray that we'll have food for another day. The last time I checked my freezer and pantry, we won't get to eat through that for a long time. And so we don't have the standards or desires that Jesus had for us. We have been called to be His people. We have been called to seek to become more like Him, to be changed from one degree of glory to another. That is the process that He is taking place in us. And in the process of doing that, we have all kinds of obstacles along the way that are temptations to sin, that are distractions just even plain old ordinary everyday distractions. We have conflicts. We talk about that in Sunday school. Getting along with each other. There's a challenge. Being patient with each other. These are the things that we can say truly if we were focused on these things, we would, be, we would recognize right away that we are desperate. We truly are needy. In fact, 
the fact is that in spite of the, the level of medical care that we have today, none of us are but one heartbeat away from death. Our life is given to us on a second-by-second, breath-by-breath, heartbeat basis. And we know how it is. There's going to be a day when we're all going to pass through that door out and we're not coming back. Are you desperate? Are you desperate? You will pray when you are desperate. And so the first uh, characteristic or attitude that we need is desperation. Secondly, reading in verse 7, Jesus says that to follow through on this story, the man uh, who has been awakened now answers from within, do not bother me, he says to his neighbor, his so-called friend. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, that's a reasonable, logical response. You would expect he'd say, hey, go away. I'm not getting up now. Think about it. I've got to get up. I've got to crawl over sleeping bodies in the floor. Maybe get to the door, wake up people, bother people. The kids just start crying and my wife is mad and you know, such a, and so forth and so on. This is the, the scenario here. Nevertheless, as it appears, it goes on to say this. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So, although it isn't spelled out, it appears that this needy neighbor who needed three loaves of bread, uh, continued to, uh, to knock, to holler, to do whatever he needed to do to wake this fellow up. Now, the word impudence, that's not a word we use very frequently, but I understand that it could be translated shamelessness. The guy is shameless. He's there banging on the door, hollering, hey, wake up, I need three loaves of bread. I've got somebody here. And on and on it goes. And Jesus says that the guy inside says, you know, he finally realizes something. I'm, this guy's not going away. He's not leaving. And if I don't give him what he's asking for, he's just going to keep on knocking until he really does wake everybody up and does every, all the things I'm worried about. So I'm just going to give it to him. And he opens the door and he gives him what he needs. And it says here, he gives him whatever he needs. Whatever you want, take it. Just get out of here. <laughs> let me be let me be alone. Give me some peace. Now, this is not to say, of course, that God is like this. This is actually just the opposite. God is not like this at all. And yet we might be hesitant to come to God because we don't think we really need to go to that extreme. We can handle this. We're not desperate. So we might say, you know what, this is not a really... We don't need to pray about this situation. It's, it's just okay. It's a normal thing. We'll get through it. We'll be fine. But Jesus tells his disciples that they should ask and they should seek and they should knock. In other words, that they should be persistent. Notice the next section, verses 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then he goes on. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Now, uh, the words here that we find in our text, ask, seek, and knock, are imperatives. And they're present imperatives, which means what? Uh, English teachers, it means that this is like continuing thing. Ask and keep on asking. I want you to ask, but I want you to keep asking. I want you to seek. Keep on seeking. I want you to knock. Don't just knock once. Keep on knocking. Persist. Be persistent in this. In this prayer. In this request. In, in seeking what you're looking for. And so, what happens to us? And many times in our prayer, we ask for things that we do desperately need, but when we don't see an immediate answer as quick as we think we should, we give up. And why do we give up? We give up because we are impatient with God's timing and God's wisdom. We think it must not be God isn't listening. He won't answer. Nothing's going to happen. I just, you know, never mind. It's not working. Maybe just do something yourself. Do it yourself. Fix the problem yourself. Don't trust, don't trust God for it. There are reasons why God doesn't answer prayers. If you study other passages of Scripture, as in 1 John, we notice in 1 John that he talks about the fact that you ask, but you ask amiss, and so you don't get it. Sometimes we ask for things, and we have the wrong reason for them. We, we want something that is not really what God wants for us. We have our motives are not correct, and God will he'll stop us. He'll, he'll cut that one off. Sometimes we ask for things that are not good, and we don't understand that they're not good. And so God, in his wisdom, will not grant them. But oftentimes, sometimes at least, there are good things that we ask for, and they might be what God wants for us, but the time is not right. Do you understand when you persist in prayer, you are asking God to the best of your knowledge, Lord, I believe this is something you would want me to ask for. I want to pray that God blesses the ladies' retreat this weekend and that Julie is strength to, to uh, speak and that the ladies learn a lot and grow. And I think we have good reason to believe that that is God's will. And we can ask for that and pray for that every day and all through the weekend. We ought to do that. And so we will ask for things. We will, we will ask and seek and knock and keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. Some of you have been praying for lost loved ones, I know. And you're going, when is this going to happen? You know. Well, you can ask for it till you die. And God might answer it at your funeral. He might. But just don't give up. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking until it either becomes clear that this wasn't God's will or God has another answer to it. Persistence. And so we have seen. We need to be desperate. We need to be persistent. The third item, the third attitude that we need is faith. And Let's take a look at uh, verses 11 to 13. Jesus now gives another example going from the friend with the visitor and needing bread to a father, a father with a son. 
And listen to this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Well, that's a question. The answer is no, no father would do that. Um, it would be evil to do that. No father would give his son a serpent instead of a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. No, that's not going to happen. And then Jesus makes this contrast. He says, then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Holy Spirit. Think about the fact that the host who came to his neighbor's door trusted that neighbor. He trusted him that he would have what he needed, the bread that he needed. He trusted that neighbor that even though the neighbor might have a bad attitude, he would come through in, the, in a pinch. He would deliver. He had faith. He had faith in him. Now, the word faith is one that um, gets misused a lot nowadays. Faith is kicked around as, you know, I feel I just have a lot of faith. It's all going to turn out okay. There's not really an object of faith. There's just a good, warm feeling. There's just a positive mental attitude. This is not the kind of faith the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about faith as trust in God, reliance upon Him. God is the object of our faith. Our scriptures reveal a God to us who is a loving and merciful God, who is a holy God, who controls all things. And not only that, but it tells us that we, by faith, come to him and he is pleased when we have faith God is delighted in faith Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness you have faith in God and his promises and he is pleased with that Hebrews eleven six says this without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I'm delighted every time I hear something that indicates to me that there's a way to please God. What a wonderful thing. He is pleased with faith. And you know how that faith is exhibited? In two ways, according to this verse. And I'm sure there are others. But one way is that they draw near to God and they believe that he exists. Well, there's three. And he rewards those who seek him. God is pleased when his people believe in him, believe that he exists, and they believe that he rewards those who seek him. They believe that if they come to him in prayer, he's going to answer that prayer. He's going to provide what you need or what you believe you need. He might give you something different, but it won't be something worse. It'll be something better. So a person of faith is one who believes in believes that God exists. And I am often reminded that I forget that God is eternal and infinite. That his being always was, that he always existed. And that the God that we speak to, that we call Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the triune God, that God wasn't created, didn't have a beginning, does not depend on anything. He is always there. 
And all things depend on Him, and He depends on nothing. And He is trustworthy. We may trust Him, and we believe in Him, and we may come to Him, and we will know that He will reward us. It's interesting the word that Luke uses in this paragraph, in this parable, different from Matthew. Matthew says, uh, referring to this same incident, he says the Father will give the give good things to those who ask him. But here, Luke says he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What is the Holy Spirit? Do I need the Holy Spirit? Oh yeah, we do need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the person of God, the third person of the Trinity who lives in his people. What does he do for us? First of all, he changes our hearts and minds. He makes us repentant. He makes us see our sin. While we confess our sin together on Sunday morning because the Holy Spirit has given us a spirit of repentance. And we, we confess our sin and we're sorry and we hate it. But we also know that as we come to him by his spirit that he reassures us that he forgives us as we confess our sin to him. So through that repentance, we are connected to God in a way that's correct and true. And we are accepted by him. The Holy Spirit, the scriptures also tell us, guides us. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, we pray that he would lead us not into temptation. And how does he lead us? He leads us by his spirit. And he leads us by his word. The Holy Spirit also empowers us. It's a new force within us. If you, like me, grew up in a church, you heard a lot of lessons somewhere or other about the things, the good things you should do and the bad things you should not do. And for me, Christianity was mostly about trying to be a better person. It wasn't working for me. I was a complete failure uh, by uh, fifth grade. Uh, I was guilty. And because at that point, the Holy Spirit had not entered into me to give me power to repent, to believe, and to obey. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. Everything we could possibly need is given to us when the Holy Spirit is given to us. We have, by that, then the ability to relate to God correctly as His children, sons and daughters, the ability to walk in His ways and truth, to avoid sin, to repent when we need to, to confess, to obey Him, and to have the assurance that someday we will enter into His presence forever. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what He does in us. And that is why Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, keep on. Ask God give you the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I ask you, do you have the Spirit of God in you? Do you know Him? Do you pray in desperation with persistence, with faith? Is that the way your prayer life is? Or could it be better? Before us this morning, we have a table. On the table, there are trays with bread that remind us of Jesus's Last Supper with his disciples in which he took bread and broke it and gave it to them and and they took it and ate it. And then the cup that Jesus said was a cup of a new covenant in his blood. 
we're going to celebrate our relationship with Christ this morning by remembering what he did for us in his death and the fact that he's coming again. He's coming again. Promise to come back for us. So I would ask you, how's your prayer life? Is there desperation? Is there persistence? And is there faith? Maybe take a, a check. Maybe do a reality check on your prayer life. And as we close this part of the service, I want us to think about the fact that what is God? Who is it that we speak to? Say this with me. God is a spirit. Do you see it up there? Yeah, okay. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Let us pray. Lord, we pray now that you would remind us every day of just how desperately needy we are. Oh Lord, let us not go on in pride and self-sufficiency, but let us cling to you. Let us call out to you. Let us be persistent in prayer. Fill us with faith. Give us your Holy Spirit, we pray, for we cannot walk with you otherwise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.